When you hear so many different ideas about good health, how do you separate the myths from the facts? Welcome to Healthy View Radio with your trio of co-hosts, Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fennighaus. Today, you'll learn what it takes to be healthy and happy within a stressful world from three experts walking their talk. Here is Lisa, Andrea, and Michelle. Welcome to Healthy View Radio. My name is Andrea Beeman, and my two fabulous co-hosts are Michelle Fenninghaus and Lisa Lutan. And today, we're going to be chewing the fat about fat. And whether or not it makes you fat, or it makes you healthy, or it makes you unhealthy, we're going to uncover everything for you guys and gals. Because there's a lot of bull crap out there in the world about fat, and we're going to dispel some of those myths today with our guest, Nina Teichschultz, author of The Big Fat Surprise, Plus, we also have Sue Brown, who, speaking of fat, lost 52 pounds of it, which is always a nice feat. Uh, But before we lay into the lard and the schmaltz, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Atrantil. If you've got bloating, gas, constipation, distended belly, or just plain old digestive woes and a couple of farts, (laughs) Atrantil naturally supports digestive health. And you can find out more about Atrantil at atrantil.com. That's A-T-R-A-N-T-I-L dot com. Okay, ladies, it's time to chew the fat. Uh, Do you like fat? Were you ever scared of fat? Uh, Please share. Yes, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. You too, right, Andrea? We all grew up in, in this era of don't eat any fat. It will kill you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't eat fat for about 10 years, T- like 10 years avoiding fat all through my teenage years. I remember it was margarine. Margarine was a big thing back then. Like, I can't believe it's not butter. And today I can't believe it's not illegal to, sh- to sell that crap. <laughs> but, you know, it was, I was afraid of fat. I was a- thought that fat was going to make me fat. So I have a quick story for you girls. And then I want to hear all your stories. Uh, well, I go out to, to brunch like with my, my girlfriends and there's one gal uh, when, when the basket of bread comes to the table and it's good quality bread, right? I will grab a piece of bread and I'll grab a little stick of the butter, right? The organic valley butter. I love organic valley. Right? And I smear the whole thing on that piece of bread and, and I eat it. And she's like, how can you eat all that butter and stay so thin? As I watch her eating every single piece of bread in the basket. And I tell her, listen, the fat's going to satisfy you on a deep level, and maybe you'll have one piece of bread and butter instead of a whole loaf of bread with no fat on it. <laughs> so I think she, she got it, and she started eating a little bit of fat, and she actually lost about five pounds. And That's maybe so cool. like enjoyed it that much more because bread alone is okay, but bread with butter. Or now you're living. olive oil on there. Oh, my God. <laughs> to die yeah. for. So what kind of stories do you have around fat, girls? Well, I was in high school when Snackwell's cookies were big. You guys remember that brand, right? Are they, I think they still sell that stuff. <laughs> ah, um, yeah. So we, for lunch, right, all the girls in high school, we wanted to be nice and thin. We were real concerned about our figures because you know how 16 and 17-year-old girls are always so heavy and not looking good. We, are, we, we look great. We were young. We were fit. We were, but we were uh, devastated by this idea that we could become fat horrors. Mm -hmm. So for lunch, um, it was interesting because I transferred into the school as a sophomore and I looked around when I got there and I was like, oh, okay. So at this school, we eat a plain bagel only 
and drink Snapple for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And I was kind of on board with that because, you know, that was cheap. You could buy a bagel at the counter for like a buck, Snapple for another dollar. And, And that was lunch day in and day out, maybe a piece of fruit, you know, maybe if you were feeling feisty and all the girls ate it like this. Now, those of you who are watching us live stream on Facebook can see me do this. Little pinches of the bagel. <laughs> if, you take, if you take little, little tiny pinches at a time, it lasts longer. Didn't they scoop it out? Like just the <clears throat> scooped out bagel thing? Oh, sometimes just the scooped out bagel. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> and that was lunch. And that's what we we're eating. And these are the same women today that are experiencing everything from infertility problems to thyroid issues. I mean, the list goes on and on. So it's really no surprise when you think about our bodies were just forming at that age. We were just coming into womanhood and we were feeding ourselves Snapple and bagels. Mm. So true. I'll tell you my funny fat story. When my kids were little and I was baking cookies, I was using, I can't believe it's not butter. And they were awful. Like the cookies came out horrible every time. And I said to my husband, Stuart, we need a new oven. Like my (laughs) cookies suck. And I literally made him buy us a new oven. It was kind of old anyway. I bought the new oven. The cookies still sucked. (laughs) And somebody said to me, try it with butter. And of course they were like delicious. And I was like, oh my God. So that was a big aha for me right then and there. You're buying whole new kitchen appliances. (laughs) That's incredible. Butter. (laughs) Seriously. So did it did the um the cookies though, did you remain nice and thin eating the cookies with the margarine? (laughs) Totally not. No, no, no. And I remember all those times I went, I tried diets like with bars and shakes and salad with no dressing. And I was a raving bitch lunatic because I was starving (laughs) all day long. I was like, you know, counting the calories, counting the this. I was a miserable person. And it's like, who wants to live like that? Yeah. And I remember that the more I took out fat, the fatter I got. So I was a skinny kid. Like I was like, really fit and trim and skinny kid. And at 13 years old, when I started dieting and I took out fat and started adding in more sugar, because once you take out fat, mm-hmm. sugar is, is going sky high because what does sugar turn to in excess in the body? Fat, <laughs> right? So we start craving the fat. So once I started that dieting nonsense and that no fat, low fat, non-fat insanity, my weight started to creep up. I got up to, by the time I was in my, probably 18, 19 years old, I, I must have been about 148 pounds. And, and when I started, I was like 100 and I don't know, 18 or 117. I get up to 148 pounds. And at my, my most, I was 151 pounds. And for someone that's, I'm like five, five four on a really tall day, right? So I'm five, three and three, three quarters, <laughs> you know, but so for somebody that I, and I do have a small frame. So for this little frame, 151 pounds was whoop, you know, I was like a little little pudge ball. I look like a little ball of lard, but I should have ate some lard, actually. It would have made me look better. <laughs> I'd feel better. It's so I true. never would have believed this. I if wouldn't you, have either. I can't right? even imagine. No, my, our mindset, like, you know, it was really drummed into us and it just made so much logical sense. You know, don't eat fat if you don't want to get fat. But what you just said, Andrea, was interesting about how, you know, when you eat an excess amount of sugar turns in too fat. And, you know, anything in excess turns into its opposite, right? Isn't that the saying? So I'm interested these days because these heavy on the fat diets, you know, the paleo diets Mm -hmm. and the keto diets, you know, we're getting 
we're going in the other direction, you know, eat all the fat you want, eat all the saturated fat you want. And I think there's some truth to it, right? Like we do need saturated fat to create hormones in our body. Yes. Like let's drum that, you know, into our brains. We need it. But what do you girls think? Is there a point at which enough is enough? Well, I can't wait to ask Nina, you know, about this and actually really planning on it because there's so much, just as much confusion as ever, you know, how much is too much of a good thing, right? Yeah, totally. And I think that we go in these waves, right? So we go non-fat and, you know, no fat, and then we go no sugar. And we had all the chemical sweeteners in the 80s, right? And then we went high protein, right? High protein preceded the high fat because in order to process protein, you actually need to have fat. Otherwise, you know, it's one of the reasons why, and I forget which explorer it was, found out the hard way that eating rabbits, all the, um, uh, the people died, right? Because there wasn't enough fat in the rabbit for that amount of protein. And, and it'll come to me. Uh, I need a little more fat on my brain. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we actually need the fat to process the proteins, right? Because it's going to stimulate the, the bile to be excreted into the small intestine by the, by the gallbladder. It's going to stimulate the digestive juices. It starts a process. And without the fat, you know, you also lose flavor, when things, you know, because fat carries flavor, it also carries minerals. It's carrying a lot of things. So I think that this extreme fat, fat, fat that we're having right now is because of all of the, the stuff that we've done over the past few decades. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that I know I'm confused. And if I'm confused on this, I can't even imagine how people are processing this, you know, because we have half the people still believing in fat free and just have it. And then all these people going extreme fat. And again, I think it's just more confusing than ever. Like was Atkins the way to go? Is paleo the way to go? Is keto the way to go? Like, who knows? I find a lot of my clients are coming to me with questions like, well, what about this product? Because now you can find coconut oil in just about any grocery store, but it's being made by I don't even know, but let's say Kraft or whatever, a food company. And it's not the same. You know, they're blending it. They're making it cheaper. They're making it more available, certainly. But it's not the same product that you might be ordering from Green Pastures, uh, which is the brand of coconut oil I get. So how do we navigate that world where one fat and the other fat are not the same? Right. Uh yeah, well, for me, you know, I'm, I'm a local seasonal girl. So I do have coconut oil, but it's not my main oil. Um, you know, I, I prefer the schmaltzes and the bacon fats and the tr- classic traditional fats from the northern hemisphere. Fish fats, right? That's, that's what I prefer. And once in a while, the coconut fat, you know, like if I look at coconut fat, I, you, there's a reason why it grows in the tropics, right? So yeah, we can have it, of course. But why does it grow there? How come there's no coconut trees? I go out into Central Park, I've yet to see a coconut tree. <laughs> right? So people are going coconut crazy, I think. And I don't know if that is sustainable for the planet. So if we have this, in, we're like just going down, you know, into the, into the tropics, we're taking all of those coconuts, how much fossil fuel is being spent to get all that coconut oil up into the northern hemisphere when we have oils up here as well? We have walnut oil, olive oil, and, you know, we have chicken fat, beef fat, we have pork fat, which is a classic fat. We have so many other fats. So what are you cooking with, Andrea? If you were making eggs, like what kind of oil would you use? 
Well, with eggs, I'm a butter girl. I like okay. butter with me eggs. Me too. Classic. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So this morning, Pablo made breakfast and he made um, poached eggs on top of sauteed kale, which was uh, kale, sa- it was boiled first and then sauteed and put in olive oil and salt. And then we put the poached egg on top of the greens and we had some roasted rosemary potatoes and those had olive oil. And we had, you know, the olive oil was up to 375. But as we get closer into the wintertime, we're going to go with some duck fat on those <laughs> potatoes. We're going to go with some chicken fat on those potatoes as well. And when you say the winter time, so that you're getting more sustainable, more like heartier food for the winter. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, traditional foods in the winter time, as the weather gets really cold, are animal fats, animal proteins, bones, you know, stocks. Those are traditional foods and they're very hearty and very warming. And fat is, is warming, you know, at least the, the saturated fats from the animals is pretty warming. So, I, you know, it's, it's just, it just feels right in my physical body. How, how do you girls? What I think we of- naturally gravitate towards those heavier foods in the wintertime. Everybody does, although maybe it translates into eating uh, extra cheese on your pizza. <laughs> but we all gravitate towards those heavier foods. And I agree with you. In the summer, it's a lot of salads. It's a lot of olive oil. That just comes naturally. In the winter, you know, it's funny. The first time I bought lard. <laughs> Now, growing up, like lard was like a four-letter word. You, know? <laughs> you, you don't want to talk about lard. That's the grossest thing ever. But people actually refer to what is cris- Crisco. Like if you get a jar of Crisco, which is a hydrogenated oil, shelf-stable, man-made junk, they refer to that as lard. But that's not lard. Real lard is a traditional fat that is very stable at high heat. And it's actually better to fry your food in lard, healthier to fry your food in lard <laughs> than something like canola oil, because the canola oil seeps into the food, actually makes it more soggy and full of fat. And the lard, it's a, it's a different oil, and it's actually pre- preferable for frying. Nothing wrong with frying. That's what I'd say. Yeah, it's I fascinating. Agree. You know, I grew up, I was a, ve- not, I was a vegetarian for many, many what? years. Yeah, and it was only a couple of years ago when I got diagnosed with SIBO that I realized I couldn't be eating so many vegetables all the time. I had to kind of mm. shift my diet around, and I started bringing back animal products. And I was like, whoa, bacon rocks. You know, like, this is so good. If any of my relatives are listening, sorry. You know, I grew up in a home where bacon was like not okay. Um, so anyway, I find now I'm like literally craving like um, hamburgers, you know, mm-hmm. more meat, more heartier protein. It's like my body just can't get enough of it right now. Not that I'm eating a ton, but it's fascinating to me, like how I was living for so many years and how different I'm starting to live now. You know that uh, the majority of my vegan and vegetarian clients, um, their gateway drug... Is bacon. Oh, yeah. I believe it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like it's a thing that brings them back. Yes. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> yeah. And I was a vegan too, you know, like in my early 30s. I was, you know, a hardcore vegan. Don't eat anything with a face. And then I remember walking up my stairs. I live in a six flight walk up in New York City. I remember walking up my stairs and I'm like, are those my knees making that sound? It was like, like, like I needed literally to be oiled. <laughs> And I was eating like oil. I was eating vegetable oils and all that stuff. But my knees were literally squeaking. And I said, this can't be normal. 
I was only 31 or 32 years old at the time. How is my knees squeaking? I have, I need them for another 60 years. (laughs) (laughs) You're like the tin man. So when you changed your diet, did you see an instant change in that? Yeah, it took about six months. They Mm -hmm. stopped squeaking uh, and I, I felt stronger in my body. And that was from incorporating the proteins and the fats. I remember the first time I had an egg after not having any animal protein after four years, you know, and I remember when I was studying macrobiotics, they said, you know, eggs, don't eat eggs. They're so contractive. It's the most animal energy you can get because it's an entire animal encapsulated in this little shell. And I remember eating that egg and like literally getting up and going for a run around Central Park. And I was like, wow, eggs are amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was definitely avoiding eggs in my younger years as well. Isn't that crazy? They're such a good food and we were taught to avoid. And I think we're going to learn more about fat. So we have uh, coming up, we have Nina uh, Teicholz. I I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Nina Teicholz is an investigative journalist and author of the international and New York Times bestseller, The Big Fat Surprise. And The Big Fat Surprise has upended the conventional wisdom on dietary fat and challenged the very core of our nutrition policy. And a review of the book in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition said, this book should be read by every scientist and every nutritional science professional. And in the British Medical Journal, its former editor wrote, Ty Schultz has done a remarkable job in analyzing weak science, strong personalities, vested interests, and political expediency of nutrition science. Uh, So The Big Fat Surprise was named a 2014 best book by The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Mother Jones, and Library Journal. And before taking a deep dive into... Uh, researching nutrition science for nearly a decade. Ty Schultz was a reporter for the National Public Radio. But we also have, um, uh, I'm sorry, hold on one sec. We also have uh, uh, the, um, we have another gal coming on, Sue Brown, uh, later on. And, and she's going she's gonna to talk to us about her loss of fat. So we'll be right back after the break to talk more and chew the fat with Nina. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you sick of striving for a vision of healthy that just doesn't exist? Join the club. Expert health coaches Andrea Beeman, Michelle Fenighaus, and Lisa Lutan are more than just voices on the radio. They're here to help you make real change in real life. Join their Facebook community, HealthyViewRadio.com, to ask questions, get behind the scenes, and receive early access to special offers and events. Again, you can connect at HealthyViewRadio.com. Remember to subscribe to Healthy View Radio on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus with Healthy View Radio. Do you have a question or comment for the show? Please call us right now at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email from our Voice America radio page. You'll find connections to reach any of the hosts there. Now, back to Healthy View Radio. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa, and I am so excited for our guest today, Nina Teichschultz. As Andrea mentioned in Nina's incredibly impressive bio, Nina is a former NPR journalist and the author of the best-selling and at the time very controversial book, The Big Fat Surprise. Nina, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So, Nina, we start every guest with our same Ask Every Guest questions, and I'm particularly interested in how you answer this first question. What did you have for breakfast today? (laughs) Um, Well, I had um, scrambled eggs, into which I scrambled little um, slices of sausage, my favorite kind of sausage from a local butcher who has heritage pork. Um, So... Yeah, I'm, I, I have to say, I was listening to your conversation earlier, if, if, the, if the gateway, um, if the entryway for vegan vegetarians, I was a, a vegetarian for more than two decades, um, and it, it is bacon <laughs> that brings you back in. So I often have bacon for breakfast or lunch or dinner. I really, it's a great food. I have way more questions about bacon later, but <laughs> I do want to come back to that. But our second question is, what's the one thing you do every day that ha- in your life that has the greatest impact? Oh, wow. Um, that's, a hard, uh, that's a hard question. I guess, you know, I try very hard to every day do... Um, you know, in my family to love everybody in my family as best I can. And for the world at large, really, I try to insert some modicum of truth into, you know, the field of nutrition, I feel like is a field that is dominated by so much um, bad information. And so I try through my social media or through my writings or whatever I do to, to try to bring some sanity to that. And thank you for that. We need sanity to that, to be honest. <laughs> so, Nina, since your book came out a couple of years ago, there has been a lot of talk about fat is back and fat is not the devil that we always suspected it was. But there's still so much confusion out there to what exactly is a healthy fat, which are the healthy fats, which are not the healthy fats, and how much of them should we be eating? Yeah, so I just, you know, I want to try to, uh, I, we understand this in terms of our own recommendations, and then we also understand it in terms of, like, what are we being told at an official policy level? And so one of the things that I, that I think most people don't know is that the so-called low-fat diet that we've been all been taught, you know, any, anybody, um, you know, over 30 remembers growing up on the low-fat diet, counting all your calories, as, you know, all your fat calories, that low-fat diet is over. So, you know, the principal agencies that recommend that, which is the government, the USDA Dietary Guidelines, and the American Heart Association, they're the two principal drivers of our official dietary advice, and they no longer recommend a low-fat diet. So that's basically saying 
you do not have to restrict your fat. And so what we see is a lot of what what the um, experts call the good fats coming back in, olives, avocados, olive oil, and, and they call those good fats because they're unsaturated. And we've been told forever that it's really only the unsaturated or polyunsaturated fats like vegetable oils that are good for you. But what my book argued um, pretty successfully, I mean, it really did change the debate on saturated fats. And there's a lot of scientists around the world looking at saturated fats. Those are the kind of fats found in, in meat, butter, cheese, coconut oil. You were talking about lard. I mean, they're, they're hard fats at room temperature. Um, but you, what I argue in my book, and I think is increasingly becoming recognized, is that saturated fats are also good for health. So when you increase your fats, it's fine to eat more butter. It's fine to include lard, which happens to be a super stable, wonderful cooking fat. Um, And those are healthy, good fats as well. Um, That is still a subject of controversy. So our top, these official organizations, the American Heart Association, the USDA, they still tell you to not eat saturated fat. And that's why they advise low-fat milk or low-fat yogurt or lean meat because of the saturated fat content. But I think that science is crumbling. And that's really the central and kind of controversial thing about my book and my argument. So on one hand, we're hearing, okay, eating meat with fat is good for us in terms of heart disease. But then there's studies out there that are saying that meat is bad for us in terms of cancer. So how do we balance this? So, so really good question. On meat, and again, we're talking about meat and not saturated fats. So there were huge government-funded clinical trials, on, which is the most rigorous kind of evidence, on saturated fats. And those those on, I'm talking on 65,000 Americans, so huge amount of data. And all of those trials showed that saturated fats, which are found not only in meat, but also in you know, coconut oil, palm oil, butter, they have no effect on um, cardiovascular mortality. That means deaths from heart disease or total mortality or, or, or any kind of really on, on heart disease at all um, if you measure it correctly. So what about meat and cancer? Well, meat has been shown to be associated with cancer in a much weaker kind of science, which is called epidemiology, which shows, if anybody remembers their Science 101, it shows association but not causation. So it is a very weak kind of science, and, and, I would, and, and the associations that they see are tiny. So, um, so they're really, it's not... It's not strong evidence at all, and, um, and, and one of the things that it's confounded by, which means complicated by scientifically, is that you, know, you think about who is eating meat in the last 20, 30 years. Like, is it anybody who pays any attention to their doctor? <laughs> you know, no. It's like people who, people who eat meat, except for a kind of small paleo crowd, People who eat meat are people who ignore their doctors, and that means they're unhealthier in a lot of ways. They tend to smoke more, be heavier, exercise less, do all you know, do any kind of health-promoting behavior. Um, and so it means that that 
any kind of small association you see between meat and cancer is very likely to be likely to be a result of all these other unhealthy things that people are doing. So why do we even have these warnings about meat and cancer? Well, um, you know, that is a story that really gets to the heart of a lot of what I write about, about how science is really, nutrition science is so much more about politics than it is about science. Um, and, and that's kind of a bigger story. But, you know, there really is a strong vegetarian um, leaning in the research community now. And, and there's, a, there's a kind of tendency to, to condemn meat even based on a very, very weak evidence. Um, so, so I don't, you know, I don't think, I don't think the evidence is remotely strong enough to say that meat causes cancer. Um, and, uh, and I think it's unfortunate that that message has become so powerful. So is that going to be another book for you, Nina? It could be. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is certainly a top contender about, you know, how, uh, you know, how politics and ad, you know, there's a lot of adv- advocate groups um, that are distorting the science now, vegetarian, vegan, animal rights activist groups, um, environmental groups that believe cows are the major, major cause of global warming. I mean, this is a real activist agenda that is not rooted in, in solid science. And, you know, I, I must say it is, it, it, it's a ripe topic for a book. Mm. So interesting. So how as a nation did we, we become carbo loaders? Um, well, this goes back to uh, really the government, uh, the USDA, uh, United States government, they got they decided they were going to to adopt the American Heart Association's recommendation that everybody should cut back on saturated fat and cholesterol. That means that meant cutting back on animal foods. Well, what do you you know if you don't have meat for dinner, what do you have? You know that you tend to have pasta instead or grains or so we really switched from anim, some foods or, or meals based on meat and dairy and cheese, eggs to uh, what you remember is probably that big bottom slab of the food pyramid, what we've been told to eat, six to 11 servings of grains per day. And that is when we shifted. So since 1970, we've increased our consumption of carbohydrates by 30%, which is a lot. Um, and that's and we were told to have more than 50% of all of our calories as carbohydrates. When you eat a high-carbohydrate diet, um, carbohydrates have really been shown to have unique effects on, on metabolism, um, and they do that in a number of ways. One of the ways they do that is they trigger the release of insulin from the pancreas, and insulin is a hormone, and um, it's really the king of all hormones for making you fat. So when you eat carbs, that your blood, you understand that in your blood, it breaks down as glucose, which is sugar, and the insulin socks that sugar away in your fat cells. And that's really how you become fat. Even if those are, you know, supposedly healthy whole grains, your body still really understands that as glucose. So then should we be gravitating to paleo and keto and Atkins? And and what's the difference between them anyway? There is, if you look at the Google search terms, the rise of people's searches for um, um. uh, low carb and keto are fast on the rise, and low fat is now is has been declining for some time. So you, we do really see a shift in in consumer interest in these diets. 
a, a rough sketch of how they are different. Atkins was just the early one in on the game, a very low-carb diet, um, but in, he was in the 19, early 1970s when Atkins came to fame. At that time, there was really no science. He would say, I have you know, my files full of my patients, but, but everybody knew that that was not the same as, as a randomized controlled clinical trial, which is what you need to really show that something works and, and establish cause and effect. Well, those trials have really been done now. I mean, more than 75 of them on the low-carb diet, on all kinds of populations, and many thousands of people to show that that diet is safe and effective. So a, a low-carb diet is still, you know, what Atkins basically talked about. Um, and it's not, there's no one low-carb diet. There's kind of, you can, it really depends on how broken your metabolism is. So if you are a diabetic, that means your metabolism is seriously broken. You have to go on a, a pretty strict low-carb diet. If you're uh, somebody just with a little weight problem, um, usually men have an easier time of this than women, but you know, men are just like, well, I'll just give up dessert and don't have so much sugar, and then they lose a lot of weight and get healthier. But other people have to be more restrictive about the carbs they eat, even including restricting um, fruit, which has a lot of sugar in it, or starchy vegetables, in addition to the obvious carbs and sugar and refined carbohydrates. Paleo is pretty much the same except for that it does not believe in having dairy products because they didn't believe that Paleolithic man um, had domesticated animals to, to have dairy. Um, and ketogenic is just another word for a very low-carb diet. So under 20 grams of carbohydrates usually. But ketogenic refers to that when you get really low on carbs – you stop using your glucose as fuel for your body. So you no longer need glucose, like sugar. To, you don't have to eat any sugar. But you use your, your body starts producing what's called ketone bodies. And the beautiful, magical thing about that is those ketone bodies come out of your fat stores. So you're basically your energy is coming out of your fat stores, which means you're burning fat, which is a beautiful thing. <laughs> And you use those ketone bodies to um, to fuel yourself. It's like a hybrid car. If you no longer have, you know, in the absence of, of glucose, you can use your body's own fuel source, which is ketones. So that's that's why we call it the ketogenic diet. You sound like a fan. Do you follow the ketogenic diet? I'm not, you know, strictly in ketosis, which is, means that I don't measure my ketone bodies to be sure that I'm in ketosis. I, I follow a pretty low-carb diet, but um, I'm not, you know, strictly religious about it. But, yeah, I do. I mean, I feel healthier this way, and I just have more – I feel like I have more energy. Um, I don't need to – I used to have to, like, run a mile, you know, 10 miles a day to keep my weight down, and now I can be lazy and keep my weight down <laughs> – which doesn't mean that I don't believe in exercise, but you know, it really, it's 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 just a diet I feel healthy on. So, one more really really important question though is that bacon question. How often can we eat bacon and it be okay for us? Can we do it every day, or is that just yeah? Pushing it? I mean, really. So, you know, again, like, why do we not eat bacon? Well, we don't eat bacon because some people think it causes cancer, but the the evidence for that is is weak. So weak is to be non-existent. Bacon contains some saturated fat, but we, you know, we've discussed how all the trials and clinical, uh, the clinical trials on saturated fat, so that that fat doesn't cause cardiovascular disease. And actually, the irony of bacon is bacon contains more of the fat 
called oleic, which is the same kind of fat you find in olive oil. So actually the dominant fat in bacon is olive oil. We have a question over on our Facebook group from Charlene. She wants to know when she cooks with bacon, can she save that grease and use it to cook with? Yeah, I do all the time. Like I I strain it through a coffee filter and, um, and I keep my lard and, you know, it used to be, I think, you know, our, our, our great grandparents or grandparents, they would just save the bacon fat and then cook the eggs in it. Yes, like, that's so good. Valuable. So, Nina, where can our listeners go to learn more about you? <laughs> um, so, anyway, don't be a fat waster. That was a campaign that came out <laughs> during the World War II. Like, you know, we used to save fat because we knew it was valuable. Nina, sorry, just uh, we're running out of time, and I want to make sure you let our listeners go, let them know where to go to learn more about you. Well, I have a website called Nina Teichels, um, T-E-I-C-H-O-L-Z.com. That's just my main home homepage. Um, I still have a website for my book, which is TheBigFatSurprise.com. And those are the main places to find out about me. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Nina, thank you so much. I feel like we could talk to you all day long about this topic. It's just fascinating. And so we're just so appreciative that you joined us on the show today. All right. Thank you for having me. Great. So stay tuned. After the break, we're going to be talking to Sue Brown, who lost 52 pounds in 52 weeks at 52 years old by conquering her sugar addiction. Stay tuned. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you sick of striving for a vision of healthy that just doesn't exist? Join the club. Expert health coaches Andrea Beeman, Michelle Fenighouse, and Lisa Lutan are more than just voices on the radio. They're here to help you make real change in real life. Join their Facebook community, HealthyViewRadio.com, to ask questions, get behind the scenes, and receive early access to special offers and events. Again, you can connect at HealthyViewRadio.com. Remember to subscribe to Healthy View Radio on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus with Healthy View Radio. Do you have a question or comment for the show? Please call us right now at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email from our Voice America radio page. You'll find connections to reach any of the hosts there. Now, back to Healthy View Radio. 
Welcome back to Healthy View Radio. I'm Michelle Fennickhouse, and I'm here today with my co-hosts, Andrea Beeman and Lisa Lutan. We have been talking about fat, you know, the jiggly kind, fat, fat in food, fat on our body, and the relationship between the two. Now, in a moment, Andrea, Lisa, and I are going to tell you sort of our best advice when it comes to incorporating fat into your diet. But first, we're going to bring on another perspective from the health and wellness world to talk about losing fat. Certified health coach Sue Brown lost 52 pounds in 52 weeks. I love this when she was 52 years old by conquering her lifelong sugar addiction. And she's kept off the weight for 10 years, which is pretty amazing. She's written the book, Simply Sugar-Free, Six Simple Steps to Conquer Sugar Addiction and uh, to share what she has learned. And I can't wait to hear about those six simple steps. Thanks for joining us, Sue. Glad to be here. So in your experience, what happens to a person's sugar cravings if they don't eat enough fat in their diet? So one of the important things that I work with people is adding food into their diet because what happens is when people start restricting, which is what everybody does when they think they need to lose weight, and they they take out the bad calories, they also take out some of the healthy ones, and then they just crash. So both protein and fat are critical for people keeping their blood sugar stable, which keeps the cravings at bay. And so in your life, when did you realize that you were addicted to sugar? You know, it's funny. If I look back over my life, I recognize that I was one of the people born that way. But I didn't start self-medicating with sugar until I was in high school, which is a fairly common thing where we're all trying to fit in and go with the flow. And some of us who may not fit in and go with the flow self-medicate with other substances. Some people use drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, shopping. For me, it was very specific to sugar. You mentioned uh, that you feel you were born a sugar addict? Yeah, you know, for me, I found success in kind of managing my body when I realized two things. One was a better understanding of the sugar molecule and the differences between fructose and glucose on your brain and your body. And the other one was realizing that I was one of the 10 to 15% of people that are born with a predisposition to addiction. And how, how exactly does one become more likely to have an addiction through their, so, you know, when they're born? Right. So, like I say, in the addiction research, they say it's about 10 to 15% of people who have an abnormality on one of their dopamine receptors. And I don't want to go all geeky on you, but um, that just means that we're chasing pleasure. And as we find something that gives us that, in my case, it was sugar, then you become into this tolerance phase where you keep needing more and more to give you that same high or relief from whatever you're trying to medicate from. And the result is that you're now addicted and gaining weight. Oh my God, I'm an addict. I'm <laughs> such an addict. I'm chasing pleasure. I chase pleasure all the time, except I chase it up mountains. <laughs> Hiking. Well, so luckily that's a healthy way of expressing it. And mm. I know one of the questions you commonly ask your guests is, what is something you do every day in your life? 
And one of the things that I do every day in my life is I walk for an hour. And that just helps bring this calming effect that I used to get from sugar. I think I've read a lot about that recently, this idea of people's dopamine receptors and how that sets us up to be people who are just, uh, some people seek pleasure more than others or are fiend for pleasure more than others. That's really interesting. Can you say a little more about the difference between fructose and glucose? Sure. I could talk for hours, but again, I'll spare you the, uh, the gory details, but for me, and you know, I was listening to your previous guest, Nina, talking about the importance of information, and that's kind of my mission for the rest of my life. I'm a little older than you guys. I just turned 62, and my goal is to try to be the best filter of information that is believed to be true at the time, which is a real challenge. But for me, I needed to understand that if someone says to you, I've got a sweet tooth, That's fructose talking, which is like 200 times sweeter than glucose. But glucose is really the starch, the potatoes, the pasta that people crave. The sweet part is the fructose. And for me personally, as long as I stay away from fructose, the cravings are gone. And I I rest on the 10 years of evidence I have in my own body of that working for me. Other people are really driven by the glucose and they also just need to understand what are the foods they can have and what are the foods they can't have to keep both their brain healthy and their weight to be what they want it to be. So, Sue, just to clarify that, so I'm guessing you stay away from fruit, but you're okay with the pastas and the potatoes? So, personally... Fructose, which really is fruit sugar, you've you know, correctly surmised that, when it comes in the packaging that Mother Nature gave it to us in, it has fiber, it has water, it has all kinds of wonderful minerals and things that our body needs. So most sugar addicts are okay with fresh fruit, not dried fruit, because when you take the water out, all that's left really is the sugar. And you're probably going to find that that's going to trigger you. And then personally, grains don't trigger my addiction, but I haven't met a woman yet over the age of about 30 who can have a high processed grain consumption and keep their weight stable. You know, I think that sounds about right. Potatoes and some of the other healthy fruits and vegetables, um, it's much easier to maintain your weight. So your book is called Simply Sugar-Free, Six Simple Steps to Conquer Sugar Addiction. It's a little bit like a tongue twister for me to say that, but I got it out. So can you tell us what are those six steps, or at least some of the steps? Sure. At a very high level, I like to keep things very simple because the world is just too complex. So the simple thing is that this is an addiction. So I have, three, I have six steps. Three of them are about healing brain chemistry, and three of them are about healing be- your behavior. Because you have to do both. You have to get the offending chemical out of your system. And then you have to change your behaviors. Like if you used to go to Dunkin' Donuts every day, probably you're not going to do that. So my first step is that I really believe sugar addicts need at least 20 grams of protein for breakfast. A lot of people will argue with you about that. But the research from the National Weight Control Registry, which I'm a part of, which is people who have lost 30 pounds and kept it off for at least a year, is that we eat breakfast 
and we have protein. The second step is doing some kind of journaling because you're going to have to figure out what you can eat and what you can't eat to keep away from the cravings and to keep your weight where you want it to be. Um, the third step is to add before you subtract. You have to eat more, not less, because when you take the sugar out, you need to have a healthy nutritional foundation under that. Step four is to get up and go. What's the best exercise for a sugar addict? Anything that they'll do. So for me, that's walking an hour a day. The fifth step is to take out the sugar because now that you're exercising and you're journaling, you've added in healthy food and you're eating breakfast, now you can take out the sugar and not crash. And step six is my favorite, which is just love yourself silly. Because once you've taken out the sugar, you have to find other things that give you a pleasant, gentle high. Yes, I was going to ask you which one of the steps was your favorite. Can you give us some examples of loving ourselves silly? What can we do today? Ah, you know, it's really the things that gently raise the chemicals in your brain that make you happy. Lighting a candle, going for a walk, hugging someone, reading a good book, uh, laying out by a pool. I'm on vacation in Las Vegas and the weather is glorious. So there's a beautiful pool, there's wonderful music. So it's all those things that gently raise your beta endorphins or other things that make you happy, but in a healthy way. So, Sue, you know, there's a lot of questions of chocolate and all the benefits of chocolate. Is there a certain number percentage that you think is okay for someone who is trying to stay away from sugar? Like, is it 86, 95? Where is it? So, um, Again, each one of us is like a closed-loop experiment, N equals 1, and I've heard Nina say that about fat. I've tried everything, right? So when I started getting healthy, it was like, oh, yeah, I heard David Wolf speak at a convention, and he said, 80%. So I tried 80%, ate the whole bar. You can go to Trader Joe's, get a one-pound bar. I ate the whole thing. Uh, Then I tried chocolate sweetened with stevia. Generally, for a sugar addict, stevia is a relatively okay replacement, depending on how you feel about this. Great. I get chocolate sweetened with stevia. I eat the whole bag, chocolate chips, whole thing. For me, there's this interesting thing where it's kind of the memory of how chocolate used to help me. The only chocolate that I can have are raw cacao nibs. And if you use those in a smoothie where you've got like half a banana, then all of a sudden you have that chocolate flavor without the addictive spike that's going to come afterwards. Nina, how can people find you and your book? Sue. It's Sue. <laughs> so I'm oh, my God. What did I say? I'm a banana. Chocolate. <laughs> well, it's, very it's very flattering to be confused with the New York Times bestselling author, but my book is available on Amazon, Simply Sugar Free. And if you Google me, um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. My favorite places to find me are on Twitter, where I really try to have a lot of the research available, and on Pinterest where I try to post different ways that you can implement my six steps. I have one board per step, and it's very useful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sue. (laughs) I won't get that (laughs) wrong again. So, guys, my advice, like kind of coming out of this episode, what I'm taking away from this is – we need to use moderation with, when it comes to all of our macronutrients. You know, I'm not convinced that we should be going overboard with fat and loading it up in our coffee necessarily, um, but certainly saturated fat does 
is a part of our healthy diet. Um, and the same thing goes with carbohydrates. You know, I'm not convinced that we need to cut them all out. I think there's a role for those healthy carbs in our diet. So what I want to say is list to all of our listeners is to use moderation, use common sense. And when it comes to fats, use them the, the way that they've been used traditionally, you know, to cook your eggs, to put on your sweet potato and enjoy your food. Lisa, Andrea, what do you guys think? I think that, you know, just like all the time, it's an experiment and we're all a little bit different. And if you look at this as there isn't one perfect way, but I'm going to try, you know, experimenting with this and that, I think you're going to find your body's going to tell you what feels good, you know, and suddenly if you find you aren't hungry for a few hours when you used to be starving all the time, that's typically a very good sign. Yeah. And I also, I agree with, with both you gals and Michelle, I'm a firm believer in everything in moderation. So I think that this craze, right? Everybody fat, 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 this is going to pass as well. And in the meantime, maybe we'll have a couple of gallbladders that people lose and have a little bit of agitation. (laughs) It'll help to bring us back to balance because it seems like as a society and as a species, we're just out of balance. And when we get to know our bodies, like Lisa said, right? We get to know our bodies a little better. It, it'll, they'll talk to us and say, I need some fat. We'll understand. Like, I, I really want to encourage people to, to eat a little bit of fat, put a little bit of butter on their eggs, put some, and see how they feel. I've had clients tell me that when they incorporate butter, they actually feel happy. So <laughs> that's, that's a, and it's like a, a long happiness, not like a happy and then, um, so sad, right? It's, it's really nourishing their cells. So start to tap into the physical body. What is it saying? All right, you guys, you can watch us live stream every week on healthyviewradio.com where you can leave your comments and we can answer them even after the show. So hit us up over there. You can also subscribe to Healthy View Radio on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a great conversation. Don't you think? We covered so much ground. Awesome. Yeah, we wanted to chew the fat. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks, Sue. Bye. This was fantabulous. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Healthy View Radio. Please join Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fennighouse again for another fun and insightful edition of our show. We're live again next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you soon.